0: You are listening to episode number five of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Hey there, teacher friend. We are continuing our January series on different strategies for engaging your students. And in this episode, I will be sharing seven simple, low-prep ways that I engage students without exhausting myself. Does that sound impossible or too good to be true? Because I promise it's not. Let's dive in and I'll prove it to you. Let's get to today's episode. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you about the giveaway I'm doing this month to celebrate the launch of the podcast. So I created this show to support as many secondary science teachers as possible, and I would love your help to get the word out to all of your secondary science teacher friends. And to thank you for your help in sharing the podcast, at the end of this month, I'm going to select two winners randomly, and they will receive either $100 in store credit to the It's Not Rocket Science resource shop, or you can get a $30 TBT gift card and an It's Not Rocket Science custom Arctic Tumblr to go with that. So it's totally your choice. All you have to do to enter the giveaway is share this podcast somewhere on social media. This could be in a teacher Facebook group or on your Instagram stories, and be sure to tag me so I can see it. But wherever you share, after you do so, DM me on Instagram a screenshot of your post, and that will serve as your entry. My Instagram is linked in the show notes, so you can find it easily, but it's just at its.not.rocket.science. And for a bonus entry, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And just in advance, thank you so much for taking the time to do this if you do choose to enter, because this is just one of the ways that we can help reach more educators who may benefit from hearing the podcast. All right, now let's talk more about engaging your students. In episode four, I shared how I engage students within the first five minutes of class every day. But what about the rest of the class period? You may be wondering. And as secondary science teachers, we all know that labs and demos and dissections are just such fun ways to engage our students and get them excited about our content. But prepping all of those things can also be really exhausting, especially if you're having to do this for three or more preps. So you're constantly having to do all the different things for all the different classes. So how do you manage to do it all? How do you engage your students in science daily without just completely exhausting yourself in the process of all of that prep work? Today, I want to share with you my seven favorite ways to engage students in your science content that just aren't quite as draining as labs and lab prep, but are still just as effective for student engagement. Number one are research and report activities. So I love using these. I started this concept of research and report with my students when I found that they were asking me a ton of questions that I just didn't know the answers to, and they were expecting me to basically be Google or be their encyclopedia. And so I came up with this idea, and I just keep it really simple. So usually I have two slides that I project on my whiteboard, and the first question asks some sort of like overarching probing question on that slide just to kind of gather their background knowledge on whatever the question or the topic may be. And then the second slide is gonna give them a task or a topic to research. So for example, in my reproduction unit, when I teach anatomy, I have a research and report activity specifically about infertility. Most of my students knew that my husband and I had struggled and been diagnosed with unexplained infertility, and they had a lot of follow-up questions about that, especially when We were learning about the reproductive systems, and so this activity was kind of born from that. So the first slide that I would project would just simply ask my class, what do they already know about causes of infertility and reproductive technologies that can be used to treat it? And I would just project this on my whiteboard and then ask them, and then as they share their answers, I would kind of just jot down their background knowledge on the board, and we can all refer to it. Once we've kind of established their background knowledge, the second slide would ask them what questions do they still have about this? So what questions do you still have about unexplained infertility? And we would just list all of those out. Then I send them out either on their own or in pairs to research one of these follow-up questions that they had. And then after about 10 minutes of research, we come back together as a class and they report their findings and we are able to either jot those down or reflect on them or whatever it may be. Now. When you initially start doing this, you may need help getting your students started with thinking of questions. You know, the goal of this is to really get your students doing the science and engineering practice from NGSS. That's having students practice asking questions and defining problems. But again, if you've not done this a lot, they may need to work on strengthening that muscle of theirs. So help them get started with that first slide of achieving their background knowledge that kind of gets them thinking and stewing on the topic. And even if they don't have a lot of background knowledge on the topic you choose at all, hopefully they will at least get their curiosities, get inspired and engaged and will bring up some follow-up questions. But if you try this and they like literally have nothing, like they have no background knowledge, no follow-up questions, you can throw out some questions just to kind of get them started. So for example, with that infertility example, I could throw out the statistic and tell them that one third of infertility issues are related to the mother, one third are related to the father, and one third are fall into that category of unexplained. So, this fact usually brings up a lot of follow up questions because oftentimes their default is to just assume that childbearing issues are always related to the biological female. And so, I love. This kind of activity, because again, it requires such little prep on your part. You can often even do it spontaneously. If you know you're having a discussion during lecture and then someone asks a question, you can be like, okay, boom, let's write this on the whiteboard. What do y'all know about this? Jot that down as your background knowledge. And then, okay, follow up. What are some follow up questions we have? Okay, you three research this one. You three research this one. You two research this one. I'm setting a timer. In 10 minutes, we're going to circle back and share what we found. I love engaging students in this way and it really takes what you're learning in the classroom and makes it relevant to them in their real lives. And it's a way of answering their questions that are relevant without just always brushing them off or just telling them to Google it themselves. Okay, my second favorite way to engage students without exhausting myself is partner work. And I know this sounds so simple, but hear me out. High school students, and I'm sure middle school students too just love to talk, but here's what I've learned. Thanks to technology, they're really terrible at talking in person. They just don't have great communication skills face-to-face. And so I love to create opportunities in my classroom where they are working with a partner through something, whether that is a research question like we just talked about or even just some practice problems. So I assign seats in my classes at the beginning of a unit and we switch them up at the start of each unit. So that students are regularly sitting next to a different neighbor, so to speak. Their next door neighbor is different. And I have them do their partner work with their next door neighbor. So they're not getting out of their seats and going and sitting next to their boyfriend or their best friend or whatever it may be. And because we switch seats every unit, it really kind of gets them mixed and mingled with their classmates. And you can be strategic when you do your seating charts. I typically draw names like out of a cup to figure them out. But then if I draw two names and I'm like, they can absolutely not be together, then I will manually separate them. But I just find that partner work really engages students because one, it takes the brunt of the workload off of you and it puts it back on your students. And two, they are social beings and they want to be social. So creating space for them to do that in a way that's productive is helpful for you and for them. And if you're worried about their productivity when they are working with a partner or maybe their lack thereof, use timers. I have a timer set all of the time in my classroom. So I may give you, okay, you have 10 minutes to tackle these 10 practice problems on your own in silence. When the timer goes off, Then you're going to consult with your neighbor, do some partner work, fill in the gaps with each other. Okay, you struggled with number three, walk them through how you figured it out. You struggled with number seven, walk them through how you figured it out. I use timers to keep the class period moving. And again, students working at a productive pace. I'm not trying to rush students and stress them out. You can always extend the timer if they're working productively and you feel like, oh, they could use a couple more minutes. But I think just having some sort of time block on it does give them that little bit of pressure they need to be like, oh, she's not just giving us the rest of the class period to do this. Like she's giving us five minutes. We need to get on this type thing. Okay. Third strategy I love is using whiteboards. I do not care how old your students are. They love writing on a whiteboard. I have yet to meet an 18 year old that doesn't get a little bit excited when you hand them a whiteboard marker. And I love to use the mini ones that are for individual students. I'll link some in the show notes, but there are, I mean, literally get on Amazon and just look class set of whiteboards up and you'll find so many. I love to use the mini ones, but I also just love to use the big whiteboard at the front of my room too, just for engaging students. So I will ask students questions and if I'm using the mini boards, I'll just have them write their answers on it and then I'll say, I'll give them a countdown and then they have to reveal them to me. That's a great way to do some like practice multiple choice or if you have some practice problems that you gave them maybe for homework or independent practice and you want to kind of see where they are, have them just write their answers, kind of see what the general consensus is and be like, oh, this is definitely one we need to go over because like half the class didn't get it. That kind of thing. Just the act of writing on the board is so engaging for them. And then also if you don't have the mini ones, students just love coming up and writing on the big board too. So what I'll often do is, Let's say they've gone through some practice physics problems and I want to go over them. I will write the numbers on the board. So I'll write number one, number two, number three, number four. And I'll kind of space them out and then I'll draw names and say, okay, Jay, you have number one, you know, Trey, you have number two, Emily, you have number three, et cetera. And while everyone's kind of seated and they might just be chatting a little bit, those students kind of move up to the board and they all write out their work on the board and then I have them sit down. I don't have them write their names by the problem they did or anything like that because I do want it to be semi-anonymous because then we can go through each problem by looking through the work that they did on the board. And it's a way for the class to get practice with offering peer feedback and reviewing other people's work. At the same time, I'm not having to constantly like write through all of these practice problems myself. And it also holds students accountable for doing work at their seats that you give them to do independently because they may get their name drawn and they have to come up to the board and have something to write up there. And then plus, they like it because they just like writing on the whiteboard. Okay, strategy number four, model building. I think model building is one of the most underrated tools for engaging students in science classes. I think when we think science, we often default to thinking about labs, but there's so much more we can do to give our students hands-on learning experiences than just labs. And I really feel like model building is one of those things. So a model is simply just a representation of something. You can ask your students to make a model of literally anything. You can provide them a bucket of random materials and have them make some sort of three-dimensional model. Or you can keep it even simpler and just give them some Play-Doh and have them build a model. I'll link in the show notes a very easy and cheap way you can make Play-Doh at home if you don't want to be buying Play-Doh consistently. But you know, it can even be simpler than that. You can use chalk markers or those neon expo markers and let students write and draw on your lab tables. They love doing that. If you think they like whiteboards, let them draw on your tables. They will lose their minds with excitement. Or if you're too nervous to do that, even though I promise if you get the right ones, they will come off, you can use the mini whiteboards that we just talked about. But just letting them make some sort of model, even if it's just a drawing. I know that sounds so simple, is incredibly helpful and effective, and it's engaging. So one of my favorite models to have students make is a concept map. That is a model. So what I'll do is I'll give students a list of vocabulary terms, maybe five to start off with if you're not doing concept maps consistently. Put five vocabulary terms on your whiteboard and then say, okay, I want you to make a concept map that's connecting these terms together and have them make two versions. Have them make a version that is blank that they can swap with the neighbor and see if their neighbor can solve theirs and then have them make like an answer key version. And this is such a great way to stretch them in their brains to make connections between terms. But then also you're doing partner work, you can do this on the whiteboards, like it connects so many things that really engages students and it's so simple. Like you don't have to do any prep other than thinking of what are some terms I want them to try to connect and you just write them on the board. So it's so, so easy. Okay, strategy number five, is one that, if I'm honest, I have not been able to test out with my own students, but I saw this idea in a Facebook group of teachers a couple months ago, and I just loved this idea. And so it's an idea of walk, podcast, and reflect. Okay, so if this was me, I would try to do this once a quarter or just to get students out of the classroom and stretching their legs because I'm always looking for a way to get students outside. We live in a place where the weather's nice 10 months out of the year, And I just think a change of scenery is super helpful. But this idea was originally initiated by a teacher in this Facebook group who was trying to engage students while having to follow really strict social distancing practices at their school. And I love that this can work in that restrictive setting as well. So essentially what you do, according to this teacher, is you would just assign your students a podcast to listen to. And then they all go outside and you just let them walk laps, whether that's around the football field or, you know, a green space in your campus or whatever it may be. And they just listen to the podcast. And then afterward, you have students write a simple reflection to either submit or share with the class to just show that they, you know, actually did it and weren't just like listening to Spotify music the whole time. So if you need some support with reflections, anytime I ever have students do any sort of written reflection, like if I have them read a random article here or I want them to reflect on a lab we did or whatever it may be, I like to do a three, two, one framework. And so this is what I have students do. Three is three things that they learned, two connections that they made to what we're learning in class from what they listened to or read or whatever, and then one follow-up question they thought of while they were reading or while they were listening. So have your students listen to some podcast, come back, and then all they have to do for their reflection, three things they learned, two connections they made to what you're learning in class, one follow-up question they have. This is simple, but it gets them in a place where they're actively thinking while they're listening, but they can also just enjoy it and enjoy listening and learning for the sake of learning without having to like answer 20 comprehension questions after the fact. And really, all you would need to do prep-wise is be listening to podcasts to preview ones that you think would be fun for your students. I obviously love podcasts since I am creating one, and you could just listen to these in your car. So a few podcast recommendations I have that I've personally listened to and love, you would want to obviously preview these for your own students, but I love chemistry for your life if you're a chemistry teacher. I love This Podcast Will Kill You for anatomy. And then I love The Biology of Superheroes for biology. So I definitely recommend checking those out, although there's so many others and so many new podcasts made every day you can check out too. Okay, strategy number six I love for engaging students without exhausting myself is projects. I think we avoid projects a lot because it seems like a lot of work on our part to come up with a project and come up with a rubric and then collect them all and lug these things home and grade them. But the whole point of this episode is to help you engage your students without it being a lot of work. And you can do that with projects because projects put the bulk of the learning back on the students. It's back to being more student-centered than teacher-centered. And we can use students to plan the projects too. Really, if you're gonna do a project with your students, all you need to do is come up with a topic you want them to learn about on their own. And then make a very brief bulleted list of what you expect them to learn from this. From there, you can really let your students run with it in terms of coming up with the product or output of their findings. And you can let them choose how they best want to represent their learning of this assigned topic. All you then would have to do is make a simple rubric. So while they're doing their research or putting their model together, whatever it may be, make a rubric for how you can assess them because rubric, rubrics are the best for assessing really, really quickly. and. Again, this doesn't have to be something you make from scratch. I love to take existing rubrics I have and just tweak them for new assignments that come up. In my Secondary Science Simplified Virtual Professional Development course, we have an entire unit on assessments and I give them like a rubric starter pack of like, I think it's seven or eight of my favorite rubric templates I've come up with, and they can just use those to tweak them for a bunch of different things. But you can find a ton online for free as well. And then again, just kind of customize them for the individual project. Rubrics are your friend. And these don't have to be massive projects that take weeks to implement or anything like that. It could just be a quick two-day in-class project that gives you a much needed break from coming up with a ton of prep for two days and it gets your students in charge of their learning. And you also don't have to have students present every single project, because I know that takes a lot of time as well. I love to do gallery walks where I have students broken up into groups and they kind of present in five-minute chunks. It's almost like speed dating to present their project to different friends. And then after a few rotations, you know, we switch, and then the other half of the class is sharing their projects, and I can kind of walk around and listen and get some ideas for what they know then as well. So I highly recommend using projects. Even if you're using like one a quarter, it's such a great break for you and an easy way to engage your students. And then last but not least, my seventh favorite way to engage students without exhausting yourself is by letting the students teach the class. I came up with this idea originally because I loathe reviewing for exams. I'm sure I'll make an episode about exam review and how I survive it at some point, but I just hate reviewing for exams. I think this was born because my first few years teaching, I was in a school with a high stakes end of year exam for the state for the class I taught. And so it just put so much pressure. we had to do; we were required to do so much review, it just drained me. And so I came up with this idea to take the pressure off of me. and now it's kind of become a tradition in my classes. My students know, and my students that have had me for several different classes know that this is something that I do and they look forward to it. So essentially, I did something called it Teach the Class Project and I put students in groups. And each group gets assigned a topic. And from there, they have to come up with a lesson plan to teach the class the review for that topic. And I give them a lot of freedom. They can do kind of whatever they want in order to review this topic with their classmates. But they have the pressure of knowing like, this is the only review on cells that the biology class is getting before the midterm. So to support yourself and support your classmates by making it a good one. And it's a great challenge for them. It really gets them thinking about the content themselves, reviewing it really well themselves, the topic they have, and then having to communicate that to their peers. And then they get to also absorb what they're learning from all of their peers as well. I usually give them about three days in class to do this. And then we spend another like two to three days where they're actually teaching the class in their groups. And I will time them, they either get 15 or 20 minutes. I'll set them a limit based on how much time we have available. But again, it's a great way to challenge them. They get super engaged, you get a break, And it's super fun, especially at the end of the semester when you're like collecting late work and trying to write your final exams or whatever it may be. So I will link in the show notes where you can check out my resource I have for implementing this project specifically. But again, you can keep this super simple and just make your own rubric and checklist for your students to accomplish this kind of teach the class style project. Okay, that's it. I hope these seven methods have given you some inspiration for how you can engage your students without exhausting yourself. And by all means, don't stop doing labs. There is definitely a place for labs and absolutely should be a part of your lesson plans, but use these additional instructional strategies to break up your plans and just give yourself some days that require less prep on your end. Because you deserve for teaching to be fun for you and for your students, and you can take some breaks with all of the prep you're doing, but still engage them. I promise you that. Thanks for tuning in today. Just a quick reminder, make sure you enter this month's giveaway before the end of January. The hope is to support as many secondary science teachers as possible with this podcast, and your help would be essential in doing that. So to enter this giveaway, you just need to share this podcast somewhere on social media. And a teacher Facebook group is a great spot or on your Instagram stories and tag me in it, it's not rocket science, and then DM me a screenshot of your entry on Instagram. That's it. And if you want to earn a bonus entry, I would love if you would leave me a review on Apple Podcast. And again, at the end of the month, I will randomly select two winners from the entries and you can select either a $30 TBT gift card and an It's Not Rocket Science custom Arctic tumbler to hold your coffee and keep it hot or your water and keep it cold. Or you can choose to have $100 in store credit to the It's Not Rocket Science resource, resource shop. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.